0: On Raising Rare, we are bringing you the stories of parents learning how to raise a child with a rare disease. Our co-hosts, Sanath Kamar Ramesh and Brittany Ratke, parents of rare disease kiddos who have very different situations. Sanath's son Raghav has an ultra-rare disorder known as Setagadian Type spondial Metaphysial Dysplasia, or SSMD. Brittany's daughter Everly has been diagnosed with Set D5, a mutation that carries with it the potential for a range of complications and even other diagnoses. My name is Kevin Fryert. After 30 years doing research and development at Pfizer, I started Salem Oaks to help patients and caregivers understand the world of biopharmaceutical R&D. Our goal on Raising Rare is to help and lift up our listeners by sharing the unfolding stories of these two families. We also feature the stories of other rare disease families, clinicians, researchers, and industry leaders in the rare disease community. If you'd like to follow these parent stories, please subscribe to Raising Rare on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to a very special edition of Raising Rare. We are at the Global Genes Patient Advocacy Summit in San Diego. Well, I am at the summit, but unfortunately, Sonneth and Brittany were not able to make it. Sometimes rare moms and dads need to change plans when things like childcare just don't fall into place. But we're going to do our best to make it feel like we just met our guests during one of the breaks. Brittany and Sonneth. I'd like you to meet our first guest, Casey McPherson. I took a look at his Instagram page, and he describes himself as an entrepreneur, musician, father of two daughters, one of which has a rare disease called HNRPNH2. His tagline is, making music and drugs for rare diseases. I have to tell you, Casey, this morning as I was getting ready for this interview, I listened to some of your music on the website and it brought me to tears. Thank you for that.
1: Thank you so much for joining Casey, our, our little impromptu podcast here. I'm excited to be talking to you after a long time. we have been following a lot of your updates on LinkedIn and Instagram, but just haven't gotten a chance to catch up.
2: We both have things going on, my friend.
1: Yeah. but Speaking of things, you have a, a lab that you're building. Talk about what the lab is. Actually, before you talk about what the lab is, talk to me about how you got the idea for the lab because that sounds crazy and nuts. And Brittany and I would love to understand why you went that. How, 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 how was the idea born in the first place?
2: Like all of us, our diagnostic odyssey for our children was lengthy and full of bumps in the road. But once with the, the few parents that, decide they want to create a treatment for their child, you know, tend to go down the road of starting a foundation, trying to raise the money. And then once they get the money, they have the choice of either putting it into sort of an advocacy campaign to try to find more patients or, or, and, uh, oftentimes, and the preclinical work of creating a proof of concept drug um, for their particular disease. And, and so, you know, I fell asleep in biology class. Uh, so I started this from ground zero. I took two or three years before I started to cure Rose Foundation to sort of pour over genetics books and biotech books and thought, is this something I can really do for Rose? Is this like, could I really make something impactful for her? Um, in this area. That I have zero clue about, and and luckily surrounded myself with really some amazing scientists, some some amazing drug developers, and learned that many of these monogenic diseases, especially, have technologies that we can create curative treatments for. So then the next step after raising a little bit of money was who was going to do this, who was I going to partner with, and you know after talking to many people, I learned that the primary place you do preclinical work is in academia. And so I went with, uh, Columbia university who was doing the natural history study. And I had heavily invested in a scientist there, uh, Christopher Ricapero, who I dearly love. And, uh, he had a big passion for the kids, but what I found was five months after a arduous, you know, tech transfer negotiation, um, and talking to more families was that currently the way the system is, academia's incentives a- as a institution are not aligned with rare disease therapeutic drug development. They're just not. And so you can get many scientists that their incentives are aligned, but the institutions themselves are not. And and so you could replace Columbia with any other uh, uh, university um, at least in the US. I I don't know about abroad. Um, And there's reasons for that, you know, publishing and and IP rights. And and we know why we want to keep the IP rights because we don't want these drugs getting shelved because they're so rare. And and we see that happening all over the world right now. So eventually Columbia said, no, Casey, we're not going to do it. If you want to give us money as a grant, we're happy to take your money and take that drug and probably license it to somebody else. Um, and so I sat on the front porch with my head, you know, CSO, who's a brilliant drug developer, and I said, Rodney, I wish we just had a lab. Like, I wish we could just develop these drugs ourselves and have a place for families to do this where they're unencumbered, you know, with contracts. And and and, and in, in, in the middle of this, I had gone to a CRO for, for cell line development. You know, you need your toolbox to, uh, to st- sort of start your drug development pathway, which is usually cell lines and some sort of animal models and, and, and a modality that your science team thinks is, 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 a, is the best one to go after. And so the CRO is incredibly expensive, incredibly incommunicative, and they have a cue, part of the business model, and for those of you who don't know, a CRO is just basically a lab for hire, and and most of your biotech companies are using outside CROs that maybe specif- specialize in certain things, unless they're, you know, have a lot of internal equipment and 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 drug development. But but many of them now can be almost like com- completely virtual. But but their business model runs on can I get enough business and back it up so that we can start projecting numbers. And so you can, and I'll give you an example, I needed to do a long read sequence. They, one of the best CROs to do that quoted me four months. It takes about a week to do a long read sequence. And, and so that's four months of my daughter's life that, uh, and the impact a drug could make on my daughter. So already, you know, we're, we're sitting here looking at this problem and within Weeks of asking that question, we found um, another dad that had a a few special needs kids. um, Because I I had been pitching this idea to a couple of other families and said, Look, if four or five of us do this together, we can afford Rodney, another scientist, and we can get into a bioincubator. And I sort of made a rough sketch of a budget. It was a very hippie style way of doing a business, you know? Um, And luckily, this this guy, I asked him for a donation. He said, "No, I don't want to donate, um, but I'd love to start a business." And so I pitched him this idea, and he has really amazing operating experience of of getting to scale something. Once you once you can really create something that that's that that's meaningful, this guy has scaled uh, other businesses in the past and been very very successful at it, and. And so we've been ref- we, he immediately said, okay, let's do this. And so Rodney quit his job, a, a long-time job at, at a very successful biotech company. Rodney's made, made quite a few drugs that have sold for quite a bit of money. And uh, he'd, he was happy to leave that to go, like, help children. And, uh, and then within months, you know, I guess it was May that we opened the doors of Everloom Bio. Specifically, a rare disease lab as a service for family foundations, and um, and we were off to the races. All of a sudden, people were calling us to do work, and I was able to do to start Rosie's work there, and it's been really refreshing, and uh, it's been um, so much easier than working with the academic space or with the cro's because um i can get all my data whenever i want it and when i need to pivot when i need have need a question i don't have to wait three months to do it so i've been very excited about it
1: i have to ask you because the the first time i saw your post um, announcing your lab, I thought this has to be Casey's one of drunken thoughts coming to, to coming to reality, <laughs> because it sounds so nuts. It uh,
2: does, doesn't it?
1: Was there was there alcohol involved in that decision making? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I I would I would love to say that though. I've I've been sober for about uh, I don't know fifteen years now. So it it couldn't it couldn't have been that. It was really I mean, Sanath, just like you did with the small with the repurposing stuff, it's really built out on this is an obvious need. And I was fortunate enough to have built a lot of trust around a drug hunter, drug development scientist. And without that need, without the scientists, and without an immense amount of funding, this could never have happened. You know, it would have just been one of those really great ideas that never would have surfaced. And so, you know, I feel very fortunate that we, I I think there was something happening here that that the world needs places like this. And so, you know, I feel I'm really honored to get to, like, participate in the beginning of, of this sort of new pipeline
1: of therapeutic development. Yeah, it's brand new and it's pioneering in in so many ways. And I think the, 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 the part that I personally am just incredibly proud and happy about is the fact that you, with someone that has no experience and background in biotech, and all of us in this room basically don't have that background, are starting up enterprises that no one thought is possible to start up. And this is not just another, you know, um, a a kid sitting in a garage starting a software company because there's plenty of those you can start them these days with barely any money and just a laptop computer and an internet. But starting a biotech company from scratch without any prior knowledge and also without any contacts in this ecosystem.
2: Well, I will say that the rare disease community, without the rare disease community, there's no way I would have ever been able to do this, you know. Um, there is a, I, Sanath, I think you could relate that that I may never be a, a neuroscientist, um, <laughs> but there's a degree of creativity and thinking outside the box that is absolutely crucial in this time with the struggles of rare, rare disease drug development. And so it's been great to see a different side of me and and the strength that I have as long as I stay in my lane. Um, but working with the scientists to, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, of giving them a platform to say, hey guys, how do we do this better? How do we do this faster? How do we do this cheaper? And start those conversations because honestly right now, Nobody's got an incentive to make this faster and cheaper, except for these family foundations. No I mean, no one that I know of and And so having a lab now that we can implement those ideas and practices is just, you know i'm 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 so excited.
1: Yeah, Brittany and I were just talking before we started recording um, about how our personal life makes our professional life much better. And all the learnings and experiences from seeing our kids go through the, the trauma and the suffering uh, that they're going through makes us much better in in everything that we do professionally. And this is a, a great example of that, where you went from being a musician to a biotech entrepreneur in, 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 without a formal degree, without, you know. One semester of college. <laughs> right, and, and it's it's it, this is not a joke and that's what i'm I'm, yeah. I'm just always just bellbound bound by is this is not a joke it's 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 hard to understand first of all biology look at all of the people that just don't want to complete a biology course or or don't want don't even want to take a biology major with myself included um and you know I, I I I went down that path came out of it because I just couldn't make it through and and now we are all "Quote unquote experts in the in the lane that we are focused on. What do you think has made the most impact um, in your personal life that um, allowed you to be successful? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you want to call yourself successful, but I, in my mind, I think you are successful. Even starting up something like this. What do you think um, are characteristics, skills, or traits that that helped you?"
2: Well, I I think having mentors and knowing what you, like my dad said, you know not that you know not. And so if you can know that you know not that you know not, then it can create a healthy fear so that you surround yourself with people that you believe might know the not that you don't know. You know, and that sounded like a Dr. Seuss reply. And so, you know, people like Kevin, you guarantee, I guarantee you, I'm going to be talking to Kevin about this stuff over the course of time. Um, The teams that I've surrounded myself with are brilliant people. And, and so, you know, that thinking, if I thought I could do this on my own, I would fail miserably. And uh, sort of knowing that, that, we need, that we're better together, that sort of really simple statement, um, I think has served me well personally in this because, you know, I wouldn't be this far with Rose's drug without that um, community of, of knowledge and experience.
1: Speaking of which, how is Rose doing?
2: Rosie is good. She, um, I just took her to the lab last week and showed her her own cells. Um, she didn't seem to care. She loved the red button that called the police, um, in the cell culture room. And so the police came about three times, (laughs) you know, she, I want to hear Rose say dad again. There was a time in early in her life where she could, and I, I, I want her to feel connected to me and to her mom and to her sister. And I would like to see her make friends, maybe even fall in love, you know, but I, I know for a fact without a genetic treatment, she will never have that opportunity. And, and so, you know, while I can love her and support her, you know, this, this is just on the forefront of my mind to help her.
1: Well, good luck, Casey. We, are all rooting for you and for us.
2: Thanks, Anat. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4.org on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org. The Set D5 community is currently getting organized. We will let you know where you can donate soon. You can continue to follow Raghav and Everly's stories next time on Raising Rare.